0: at Central Seminary in Minneapolis, um, which at the time was a a pretty scholastically driven place. It was was kind of a heady place, a place where a lot of people went to, uh, wanted more of the academic side of training for ministry, and I was longing for more of the practical stuff, and so I just ate up every counseling class I could fit into my schedule, and Dr. Tom Zempel was one of my my main teachers, Jim Juvenal as well. Uh, any class they taught that I could fit into my time there, I loved and soaked up their, their training in counseling. And then just getting into ministry, seeing the, the constant need for growth in that area for me, needing to constantly sharpen the axe to be able to be a better servant in the Lord's hands in the lives of others. And then seeing, as I've developed over many years of ministry, just seeing the, the need for more than just one person equipped with the word to help others uh, with their issues in life, and, and we all have them, right? Uh, and so how do we together help one another? And that's kind of the, the heartbeat of why we've asked Dr. Ellen to come be a part of what we're doing here. In Romans fifteen fourteen, Paul says to the church in Rome, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. God has given you by his spirit as part of the church the ability to equip to uh, counsel, to instruct and exhort one another. Uh, And so we hope that you, our prayer has been as elders, that you, through this conference, are are that. You're equipped and encouraged in your role within the church family. While I was in seminary, in Central Seminary, uh, two of my good friends, one uh, a better friend, but brothers, um, Jeremy and Josh Steffens, were very focused on on counseling training in their uh, sessions at Central Seminary. And actually, Jeremy now is on staff at that church that houses the seminary, Fourth Baptist in Minneapolis, as their counseling pastor. So as we were talking about this last year, I said, hey, I've got a guy. I'm going to call my guy and see who he knows, who uh, would help us well in a conference setting speak to our church family, who would be engaging and filled with application, but also just knowledgeable in the truth and can lay it plain before us. And Jeremy didn't even hesitate. He's like, yeah, Nicholas Allen, he's the guy. Like, you just call him, let him know I, I gave you his name, and maybe that'll get you in the door with him and you can get him to come. Uh, and so uh, Dr. Allen was very gracious to consider coming and now is here. So we're just so thankful for that. I'll give more of a formal introduction in the morning worship service of kind of some of his degrees and background and experience. But I'll give you a, more of a personal introduction uh, just from yesterday. I had I talked to him on the phone several times before the conference but, and listened to several of his sessions online. you don't really get to know a man's heart until you can spend a few hours with him, which I was able to do several times yesterday and just uh, chatting and talking about ministry and life. And the thing that was uh, so encouraging to me was how aware he was of the grace of God at work in his life. And as he just shared his testimony with me, how God rescued him from sin, uh, rescued him to be a servant in the church for the Lord, and how he has just pursued that uh, wholeheartedly for his life of ministry was a huge encouragement to me. So I think you'll be blessed by his, his humility, his desire for growth and grace for you and for himself, uh, and also the, the knowledge that God's given him through the years as he shares that with us. So let me pray, then we'll have Dr. Ellen come. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace at work in each of us. We do not deserve any of your kind extensions of, of mercy and forgiveness and sanctification of our hearts. We know that's all of you, and it should all be for you. So we pray that you would further that work in this session in the next few minutes and grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And in so doing, then, would you receive the glory as your church is built and your name is magnified in the world, both now and to eternity. We pray for our brother. We ask that you would strengthen him and bless him with wisdom and clarity and grace to lay plain before us all that we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr.
1: I greet you from the great nation of Texas. <laughs> Good morning to you all. It is a pleasure to be here with you. I'd like to consider you my brothers from another mother, my sisters from another mister. And it's just glad to be uh, able to just fellowship with you and hopefully bring some things today and over the next few days that could be helpful to you in the concept of biblical counseling. But before we begin to look at the concept of biblical counseling together, there are some foundational things that we need to think through together. And so hopefully you got a pen or a paper. I want you to write these things down for a moment because we're going to build a foundation around these realities. And what I want us to look at is the comprehensive plan of salvation, the comprehensive reality of salvation, and then from there see how that ties into the reality of what biblical counseling is really about. So... If you got a pen and paper, write these particular things down. First of all, write these words, the particulars of salvation, the particulars of salvation. If you could write that somewhere and you're going to put some things down under there, this is extra. Out of all the billion notes you have, this is even extra to those notes, (laughs) the particulars of salvation, okay? What is it that you're writing down? All right, second thing I want you to write down. The product of salvation. The product of salvation. What was the first thing, by the way, that we mentioned? Oh, you are listening. This is good. What was the second thing? Third thing I want you to write down is this. The purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation. Now, tell me the three things we're about to talk about in this moment. What's the first one? What's the second one? What's the third one? If we don't understand that, if we don't have that as our foundation, we won't understand the power and the practice of biblical counseling. Because biblical counseling is tied to understanding the particulars of salvation, the product of salvation, and the purpose. So let's for a moment just go back in your mind and let's think about the particulars of salvation. I'd like to put it this way. We know that we have been delivered, and we can prove this, from the penalty of sin. Can we not prove that in the scripture? Right? We know, in particular, we have been delivered from what we call the power of sin. We see that in Romans chapter six. Is that correct? And thirdly, we know that one day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. So, right now, because you and I have put our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin and soon the presence of sin. Those are the particulars of our salvation. But the beauty of that is God didn't just save us from something. He saved us to himself. There was a reconciliation that happened the moment we put our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The moment we repented and trusted in him, something happened. Not only was there deliverance from the penalty, the power, and soon the presence of sin, here's where we get into the product. Were well, we not changed from sinner to saint? Did we not show that in the scripture? So we're no longer sinners in position. We're now saints by position. And we can prove that through the scripture. But not only did he save us and change our position, our condition has changed. We're no longer dead. We've now been made alive. We are new creatures in Christ. So if we were to break that down in a practical way, you and I have been delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin and soon the presence of sin. We have been changed from sinner to saint in our position and made alive in our condition from being dead to being made alive. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says we are a new creature in Christ. But why? Why would God go through all of that to save us from the penalty, power, presence of sin, change our position and condition so that we can sit and wait for heaven? So that we can continue in sin, that grace may increase, so that we can make excuses instead of confession, so that we can live a life in the culture? Of course not. There are three essential purposes for our salvation, which then moves into the reality of our sanctification. And these purposes, I want you to think about. Number one, God saved us that we may know him. John chapter 17, verse 3 And I want you to think about these words for a moment. John 17, 3, he says, this is eternal life that you may know the Father and the Son whom he had sent. And the Greek word for know there is not just an intellectual understanding. It's the reality of his presence. If I could put it to you this way, some of you have memorized the 23rd Psalm, but some of you know the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. There's a difference between knowing about him and having an intimate connection with him. And John 17, 3, God saved us so that there would be an intimate connection, not just an understanding of him, but a true embracing of him. Psalm sixteen eleven says, in thy presence is fullness of joy and thy right hand of pleasures forever. There's an intimacy face, if you will, when we get to know him. But secondly, God saved us that we would become like him. That's important. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, From glory to glory, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. Now, hear me well. Salvation is comprehensive. The particulars we see, penalty, power, presence. The product we see, the reality that our position and condition has changed. But for the purpose of knowing him, becoming like him. And number three, being useful to God, being useful to God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works that he prepared beforehand that we may walk therein. Now, This is the comprehensive reality of our salvation sanctification. It's important we get that because if we don't have that as our foundation, we cannot understand the role of biblical counseling and how every Christian is a counselor. So let me go back for a moment. We talked about again at the beginning, the particulars, the product and the purpose. And let me just repeat it. Does everybody have it so far? Making sense. So in those particulars, we have been delivered from the penalty, the power and soon presence of sin. What did that produce? God changed us from sinner to saint. You are no longer a sinner that sins. You are a saint that sins. Your position has changed. Your condition has changed. You're no longer dead. You've been made alive in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? That you may know him. That you may become like him. That you may be useful to him. Now, the question is, In knowing him, becoming like him, being useful to him, how does that look practically? And let me just suggest to you that I want you to write these two words down again. This is extra to put in your notes. These two words down that describe your ministry, regardless of whatever ministry you're in, regardless of whatever relationship you're tied to, your ministry as a Christian and the knowing him, becoming like him, being useful to God, your ministry is tied to relationships. This is where we struggle in the church. We love to do activity. God loves to develop us in relationships. We want to accomplish goals. God wants to transform lives. We try to get the work done, but God is getting us done through the work. You see the difference? As I tell my congregation a lot, it's a shame... If we put on this particular activity and there are dead bodies along the way and their bad attitudes and people are upset and mad. But we did it for Jesus. No, we didn't do it for Jesus, we did it for ourselves. True ministry is always tied to relationships. True relationships, as they're guided and guarded by God, puts us in two realities. In the relationships that God gave us, there are two central things that we're called to be. And if we don't understand those two things, we can't really understand biblical counseling. Number one, we're called to be ambassadors. Don't we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 to 21? As ambassadors, what have we been given? The ministry of reconciliation, that we are to build relationships with those who do not belong to Jesus Christ. And as they don't belong to Jesus Christ, the relationship we build with them is that through that relationship, if God wills in his sovereignty, not as we work, but if God wills, someone comes to embrace this salvation. But we also have been given the responsibility of being builders. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11 to verse 15. He equips the saints, the leaders of the church, equip the saints for the work of service. What is that work of service? Helping people grow in their character and grow in their faith to maturity. So if you think about those central realities, every person we encounter, we are either an ambassador or a builder. For example, if my niece is an unbeliever, I'm the uncle, that's the ambassador. If my cousin is a believer, I am the cousin, that's the builder. So again, every relationship you encounter has an agenda that's already set by God, which takes us back to the Ephesians 2.10, to the good works that he prepared beforehand are tied to relationships where you are an ambassador or a builder. You say, now, why is that important? Because all of biblical counseling is tied to these particular realities. Because people you run into either do not belong to Christ or they belong to Christ. And when you start trying to get into biblical counseling, the objective for your counseling is determined by the condition of the person's life. I don't need to necessarily try to help an unbeliever work through all the issues of life because they have one key issue that keeps them from everything else. And that is their sin condition keeps them from anything that they can do to make changes in their lives. Someone who belongs to Jesus Christ, we don't need to reiterate the gospel. We need to show them how to walk out that gospel. And there's some things that need to change in their lives. So my objectives are different according to the agenda and where the person is. But I've got to understand this comprehensive reality that God has put before us. So if we take it back for just a moment, principles that we've just looked at, the particulars of our salvation, the reason, and our roles as ambassadors and builders, and what that looks like in relationships, then we can build from that into this picture of being a counselor. Now, I've said a whole lot in a little bit of time. I like to give what I call little commercial breaks. So I want to give you about two minutes, turn to the person next to you, see how fast you can repeat everything I've just said to the person next to you. You got two minutes. Let's see how much you remember. Two minutes. We'll come back and we'll build on what we just said. All right, you're doing well. Back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) How much of it did you get out? A little bit, a lot. I hope you were able to work it through. I just wanted to start there because that's the foundation for the rest of our day. Because everything we talk about as it relates to biblical counseling comes back to that reality. And then when people say, oh, I can't do counseling, I say, oh, yes, you can. Because it is part of the agenda that God has set for us as saints, as we understand the comprehensive plan of salvation tied to sanctification. Now, with that in mind, you have your notes in front of you. From here, I want to try to prove the point in this first session why every Christian is and should be a counselor. Based upon what we've just put down, I want to try to now present to you why with those passages and those precepts or premises that we've just put together. So with that in mind, what is God doing in the world right now? Letter A is very simple. God is saving souls. From the power, the penalty, and soon presence of sin. That's that's what God is doing right now. Now, stupid question. I just said it, but I'm going to ask it as a dumb question, but there's a reason why. So who's saving souls again? God. Okay, anybody ever heard of a junior Holy Spirit? Does that exist? There's no such thing, right? The Trinity would not be the Trinity if there was a junior Holy Spirit, correct? So we need to stop trying to play God in the lives of people. You don't save anybody. It's not your role to save people. And the moment you believe that because you said it the right way, you did it the right way, you had the appropriate argument, all the things that we do, we keep trying to be the Holy Spirit in the lives of people instead of being instruments by God in the lives of people. I don't save souls. God saves souls. Now, and my vessel, we'll talk about that in a moment, but the answer is yes. But God is saving souls from the penalty and power and presence of sin. If you're saving souls, then you have something to be prideful about and you have something to have pity over because it was up to you. But if God is saving souls, you have something to be excited about when it happens and something to keep praying about when it's not to the glory of God. So God is saving souls. But secondly, we see this. God is maturing saints into the image of Jesus Christ. Even in Ephesians 2, uh, 8 it says that by grace we have been saved through faith in that, not of yourself, is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should what? Boast. So in God maturing saints, we know that, and he says in Romans 8, 29 to 30, he talks about all things work together for good. But then he goes into, it is God who called, God who justified, God who's glorified the whole nine yards, which means that God is responsible for the maturing of saints. The moment you believe you're responsible, the moment you get outside of yourself and you ask the question that I get all around the world. You want to know what that question is? How do I get him or her to do? Give me a formula. Here's what people are really asking. Give me a formula that can manipulate people to do what I think they ought to be done to the glory of God. It's really not to the glory of God. They think it is. You know, give me that thing that's gonna fix my husband, it's gonna fix my wife, it's gonna fix my children. There's gotta be a formula, some way I can do it or say it or skip, hop, jump, that's gonna make them do. And I say, you know what? Good news and bad news, which one you want first? They say the bad news. You have no power to do any of that. There's no formula. But the good news is, as God wills, those things may happen according to his glory. But it's not a guarantee. One of the secret things that I try to tell people, where you're disappointed in your marriage, where you're disappointed in your family, where you're disappointed in life, it's an opportunity to reevaluate your expectations To see where they line up with what God promised. Sometimes what we are looking for and what God promised aren't matching. And so those times of disappointments are times for reevaluation. Because God will not disappoint you. You say, but... I thought, yeah, now you get to rearrange. This is what God promised. What you thought and what God promised aren't matching. So if you keep holding God hostage to your expectations, you stay miserable. But if you embrace the God of reality instead of God of your imagination, you start to have peace. And see, part of that is reevaluation. But that comes into knowing what God promised versus what he didn't promise and knowing where you are in that process. So... God is saving souls. God is maturing saints. Now, how does he use us? That's a good question, guys. That's very smart to ask. Thirdly, he uses the church through evangelism. The more you and I get serious about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who do not belong as ambassadors, as we build relationships and share, somebody is going to get saved. Now, we don't get to control who the somebody is We're to be faithful to the input God always determines the outcome. Isn't that what he says in 1 Corinthians? Neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the. We hear that, but we think we're responsible and we don't let it go. But you and I were meant to be faithful to the input of evangelism. We never control the outcome. God is saving souls. God is maturing saints. God is using the church through evangelism and discipleship. But here's the fourth thing. God is using the church through discipleship. As you are sharing with people and they're willing to listen, as you give them insight and they're willing to apply the insight, they grow and change through the power of God, but you are the instrument. One of the things I share with my congregation all the time is, guys, the leadership that I have for you is not for me. My leadership is not for me. It's for you. I used to share that with my daughters. They're adults now. They're 36. I want to get it right in 34. And with my grown children, I used to share with them all the time. My leadership is not for me. It's for you. But then I would have this conversation with them as I have with people in counseling. I'd say this to them. I'm going to share this with you, okay? Because this weekend is not for me. It's for you. Let me me show you how. If you listen to anything I say and put it to practice this week, what changes in my life? Nothing, right? If you don't listen to a word I say this week, what changes in my life? Whether you listen or not, I still have to take the trash out when I get home. (laughs) So nothing I do this weekend is for me. Now, let me take it to another level. What changes about the character of God if you listen to him? What changes about the character of God if you don't listen to him? What changes in your character if you listen to him? His word is for you. See, the moment you recognize that, it changes the whole trajectory. As I tell people, I won't force anybody under my leadership. It's up to you. Because the changes in your life are not conditioned upon me as your leader. This condition upon you listening to God as God allows me to give you his word and you put it to practice. Do you know what that's done for me at night as a shepherd with other leaders? I sleep so much better. I used to think that I am responsible for the outcome of all of these people that God has given me responsibility of. I'm not staying up all night. I'm responsible for looking after them, feeding them, watching them, warning them. But if they reject the message... I can go home and go to sleep. I can actually watch the game. It's exciting. And I have members who I've said, hey, there's a crack in the wall right there. If you're not careful, it's going to be a Paul oh, pastor. Okay. I love there's a crack in the wall. And then it becomes this emergency situation. And I'm saying, here's what God would have us to do. And they say, well, I don't want to do that. And I just don't feel. I know what you don't feel, but I know what God has said. I'm here for you. And then we get other leaders involved. And sometimes, as you've all have experienced, sometimes we have to do the thing called church discipline. And the interesting part about church discipline for me as a shepherd in our group, that's the last thing we want to do It's the least thing. I mean, that, it takes us a long time to get there. But when we get there, we are there with pain. But the reason we're there is this person is unwilling And they're at a point of being unwilling that now they could leaven the whole lump of the body. And because our leadership is not for us, it's for them, there are things that we have to protect others from when others are refusing to submit to the will and word of God. But we're always ready for them to come back and we're always ready to help them. But if they're not, we have to do that. But guess what I'm not responsible for? I'm not responsible for their rejection. I'm not responsible for the outcome. This is what I tell parents. You weren't called to be successful. You were called to be faithful. Let me give you an example. How many of you know, not here at this church, not here at this church. Let me say it again. Not here at this church. How many of you know some wonderful parents with some bad kids? Anybody? But the kids are just awful, you know. But how many of you know some awful parents with some beautiful kids? Well, see. If the formula was there, then all good parenting would produce all good children. All bad parenting would produce, you see, it's not reality. The outcome of a person's life is never based in your hands. See, when we understand that God is saving souls, God is maturing saints, God is using us through evangelism and discipleship, but the outcome is in the hand of God in the heart of the individual, we are free to love people. We're free to serve people but we're also free for them to reject us because it was not up to us that transformation would happen. Does that make sense to everybody so far? Now, if God is saving souls, God is maturing saints, he's using us through evangelism and discipleship. Well, now how does counseling fit in? Well, let's think about it. If someone comes to you and they do not belong to Jesus Christ and they tell you all their problems and give you all the details of their life, What's their ultimate need, regardless of everything they've told you? Isn't that interesting? So then your counseling is going to move more towards evangelism, you think? Yes. Well, if the person is a believer and they come to you and they spill all their issues and problems, then because they are a believer, what is your counselor going to move more towards? Discipleship, you think? Does that not fit the Matthew 28 that says go and, you know, we quote it all the time, make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and know them with your, you know, the stuff that we quote a lot. But what happens when that becomes reality? All biblical counseling is doing is the work of evangelism and discipleship, understanding that you have been called to be an ambassador and a builder And ministry is about relationships that are invested in the lives of individuals as ambassadors and builders that they may come to be delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and soon friends of sin, that their position and condition changes so that they may know him, become like him be useful to him. And if they already belong to him, then that's a discipleship opportunity because where that person is struggling, there is something about God they've not yet embraced. There's something about their character that needs to be changed. There's something about relationships that need to be developed. And you, saint, you get the privilege of being an instrument in the front row seat of watching God do this work. So with that in mind, consider letter E, biblical counseling is an avenue whereby evangelism and discipleship can take place, resulting in God using it to save a soul from the power, the penalty, and soon presence of sin and maturing saints into the image of Christ. Therefore, can you say it with me? Every Christian should be a what? You know what I tell folk in my church? Stop making excuses and make confessions and come over here and get trained. How many of you met a yeah, but Christian? You ever know what a yeah, but Christian is? Y'all know what a yeah, but Christian is? You say something and what do they say? You give them another insight and they go, what? And they've got, yeah, but for everything you say. And I tell them, stop making excuses. Start making confessions. Get on over here. Let's get to work. God has given us everything we need, my brothers and sisters, to accomplish the agenda he has set. Biblical counseling is just another avenue to get to that reality. So if we understand that, then letter F, we get to see that there are some three key objectives that all of counseling that's biblical revolves around. And by the way, that still addresses borderline personality, bipolar, schizophrenia, all the things that people are excited about in the mental disorder world. Biblical counseling has the ability to address those issues. What you will discover is the more you have a biblical anthropology, you understand that when people in the mental disorder world are defining and describing the problems of man, they're using labels and ideas that are inconsistent with a biblical anthropology. But even in their descriptions, we can still address it because the problems these people have aren't a physiological, it's immaterial. And when it's an immaterial problem, there is a God who is a specialty in dealing with the issues of the heart. And the more you understand that, we still have the power to deal with that through God's word. Now, that's a whole nother seminar, a whole nother time, but I want you to understand that God's word is sufficient even with mental disorders as we will be ambassadors and builders at that level. So given this, three key objectives that we can understand about all of this together. Number one is biblical counseling's one objective is to lead people to salvation. Individuals come in off the street or anywhere. We're ambassadors. We listen to their problems. We love on them through their problems. We help them to see the ultimate issue behind all their problems. They're telling us the fruit issues. We're giving them the root solution. Their need for salvation. To change their position and condition through putting their faith in the person and work of Christ. But secondly, biblical counseling is about leading Christians and putting off particular sinful habits that keep them from walking in love towards God and others. Here's a dumb Question, but I just thought I'd ask it anyway. What are the two greatest commandments that God has given us? So, what do you think are the two greatest problems of our existence? A lack of love for, a lack of love for, that's not complicated, is it? But we like to make it complicated. See, when you start to look at the reality of these things, you start to go, okay, I see the agenda, I see where we're headed. Consider this: not only are we to lead people into salvation put off, but thirdly, our objective in biblical counseling is to lead people putting on loving attitudes and actions towards God and others, leading them to become like Christ in all things. Not complicated, is it? I've said a lot in a little bit of time. Two-minute commercial break. turn to the person next to you. If the other person get a chance to talk, let them now try to babble as much as this as they can to you. See how much of this you can repeat back to each other. What have you seen? What have you learned so far? Take two minutes. We'll come back. We're going to turn to Ephesians 4.15 in a moment. (목소리도) MBC 뉴스 박진주입니다. MBC All right. Would you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4? I want us to just take a quick moment because I have, a, what, seven minutes? I'm trying to be close to time, respect time. You know, preachers, we can ramble for hours. You guys know that, right? Don't say anything. Don't respond to that. No. Okay. About seven minutes? I got 20? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You just added extra to this. This is beautiful. All right. Um, Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. Um, Now, I like to label this particular passage what what I call the three C's of ministry, which will help us to understand something about what biblical counseling gets into. So let me give you the three C's first, and then we're going to walk through this passage for a moment to kind of put it together. The first C is character. Character. The second C is connecting. Connecting. The third C is calling. Calling. All right, can you tell me what those three things are again? What's the first one? What's the second one? And what's the third one? All right, now, as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to verse 15, I want to help you. Get a big picture here. I'm not going to do exposition on it. Just want to do like a, a flyby. 30,000 foot look at this. Look at Ephesians 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Purpose clause, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, which is the what? To the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. How do we know we got there? As a result, here is the check engine light to show us. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried around by every wind of doctrine, carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So therefore, what is the objection or the direction but speaking the truth in what? We are to grow up in some aspects Ever. Okay, that's in your Bible. All aspects. Very good. And to him who is the head, even Christ. Now, the three C's here is this. We as saints, by the elders and the leadership of the congregation, have been put into a position where they're responsible for helping us grow in our character to become more like Christ. We are responsible for connecting to other people through relationships in order to help one another grow in character. And as we're connecting accordingly, that fulfills our calling as saints. See, There's a difference between career and calling. Careers, anybody can do, engineer, all of those things. But we as saints have a calling. We have been called by God, not only to be invested in knowing him and becoming like him, but we have been called to build relationships with each other and to build relationships with those outside of the body of Christ to draw them in so that as they come in, we keep building to help them know him and become like him as they intimately embrace him through the disciplines of the faith, the doctrines of the faith, and they become like him. In other words, the character reflects that. My connection with you was meant to help you grow in character. Your connection with me was meant to help me grow in character till we come to the fullness Of Christ-likeness, which means we got a lot of work to do because that's not happening until Jesus returns, right? So our relationship, true churches, true Ephesians 411 churches have three things. We're trying to help each other in our character. We're connecting, fulfilling our calling. The calling, again, is tied to connecting to others to help them grow in character and faith. Why is that important for you and I? Because true biblical relationships are all about these things. As i share with the leadership in our congregation and i share that congregation we've got one responsibility as your coaches we got to love you to help you develop in character to help you learn to connect with people so that you help them grow in character so that again the calling is fulfilled that's the three c's of ephesians 4 that's the agenda that's how we simplify the reality so my whole life is being built as a shepherd and as one that teaches counseling to say that biblical counseling is coming to that reality. It's trying to guide people there. How many of you know that you have a character deficiency? As my grandmother would say, come on, tell the truth and shame the devil, baby. All right. So there are no perfect people walking in this room, right? How many of you know the closer you get to anybody, the clearer you get to see and experience their depravity? <laughs> All the married people right now. <laughs> We know this. This is a reality. The closer I get to anybody, the clearer I get to see and experience their depravity, which means that we have been called to connect to each other to help build and grow through that, not just go through trials, but grow through them and helping each other with our character development, because that's the calling of Christianity, to know him, to become like him. And how are we useful to him as ambassadors to the world with evangelism, as builders of fellow saints? Because we all have issues. And because we all have issues, we all need each other. And through the work of the leadership in the local congregation, giving us the doctrines and the disciplines and the duties of the faith, showing us how that works, modeling and investing in our lives, we invest in each other's lives to reflect more of the nature of Jesus Christ. You say, what does that have to do with biblical counseling? Everything. 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 Because if I'm not leading you to Christ, then my job is to help you grow in Christ as you're dealing with your suffering issues and the things that are happening in your world. To come alongside of you, to be like Job's friends before they started talking. <laughs> right? And then to move into whatever the issues are to help you see how is God using this to guide you into deeper faith into his character? How is God using this to expose areas of your life that need to change? How is God using this to help you develop more in your relationship skills of being effective in investing and connecting to other people? Why is that important? Because when the scripture says to grow in all aspects into him, there are some particular aspects that I want us to look at because as we are ambassadors, and builders, and now I want to just emphasize more the building aspect of this, as we invest in each other's lives, biblical counseling kind of gets into the specifics. It kind of helps people in some areas because as things have come to be seen, if you will, these are the areas that we have to help people develop in. So am I making sense to you so far? So we ended with growing up in all aspects. In other words, all aspects. Let's get specific into what are those things. Look with me at letter G. There are some basic categories of life whereby biblical counselors are to lead counselees through the process of putting off particular sinful habits and putting on God, honoring righteous habits. Let me give you these categories, and I want to kind of spend some time unpacking them. This will be the last thing we'll do in this session together. But there are some particulars that if you study this well, and I want you to go back and do some research. be good Bereans. And I want you to do some research as we walk through this together. Biblical counselors are to help counselees look closely at and work hard on having thought, attitudes, motives, intentions, and desires that are pleasing to God as God's Word commands. But secondly, biblical counselors are to help counselees look closely at and work hard on communicating in ways that are honest and edifying to others as God's Word commands. But third, biblical counselors are to help counselees look closely at and work hard on walking in behavior that is consistent with Christ's character as God's word commands. Fourthly, biblical counsels are to help counselees to look closely at, work hard on relating to others in ways that demonstrate the love of God as God's word commands. And then number five, biblical counsels are to help counselees look closely at and work hard on serving others in ways that will bear their burdens and meet their needs as God's word commands. Now, this is important for us, and what I'm trying to identify and help you see here. What we do in training, I guide people and I say, this is the C1 to C5, and C just stands for categories, right? And what I want you to think about, is I want to explore this with you, from C1 to C5, if you were to study the Old Testament and study the New Testament, you will discover that every time God was calling for change in the lives of his people, it always went back to these five categories. You can look from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And when there was a call for change, it was always in these five categories. So that's important for you and I, because here's what we know. Your problems exist in five categories. Whenever you come talk to me about any issue you have, I can deduce it to fitting in one of these five categories. And why is that important, you say? Well, if you tell me you're having problems with people in your life, well, that's a relationship issue. You're telling me you're having some problems with managing your funds or things of that nature, well, those are behavioral issues. If you start to tell me about things that are going on, how you shouldn't have said, and you thought you should have said, well, those are communication issues. You should tell me about what you feel and what you think and why you can't. Well, those are thoughts, motives, and agendas, and desires. You should tell me how you can't serve at a certain level and why you can't, and you got this going and that. Well, those are, serve. we could do this all day long. I could sit with you. You could tell me 20 different stories right now in these last 10 minutes, and I will show you where every story you tell me fits into categories from C1 to C5. Now, why is that important for you and I? Because we can rest and not be overwhelmed when people bring problems to us. Why? Because we know the problems are gonna be in one of these five areas. There's never a time there'll be a conversation where something says something to you that doesn't fit in one of these five categories. Let me see if I can test you on this. I come to you and I say, My wife, before I even go any further, (laughs) what category does that fit? My wife, what am I about to go into? Okay, I'll come to you and say, I I need to eat better. I've got weight issues and I know that I'm not doing, where, where does that fit already? You know, sometimes I just say it like I mean it and I'm sorry. I just say what comes and I just say it. Okay, sometimes I feel, and why can't I have? Where does that fit? There you go. We can do this all day long, can't we? And the more you learn this, this is what I call for those who are old enough to remember. How many of you remember the old Karate Kid, not the newer version? Let me see the hands of those that know what I'm talking about the old Karate Kid with the wax on, wax off. Remember that? I have to tell my children and grandchildren, Google that. You have no idea what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> wax on, wax off, all right? So you remember when Mr. Miyagi was teaching them how to do that, and then all of a sudden, he showed them how to put it into practice? This is what I do with my people in training and counseling. Wax on, wax off. I say, I need you to take the next 14 days. I don't want you to try to talk to anybody. I just want you to listen. And as you listen, I want you to categorize what people are articulating to you. Just I don't want you to try to fix anything. I don't want you to say anything. Just take 14 days. And when anyone has any conversation with you, put all the things that they tell you in the categories. Well, I was talking to my friend Johnny, and Johnny was talking about this. That was category one. He was talking about this. That's category two. He was talking about this. That's category three. And I just have them do that over and over and over again. Guess what happens over time? As people are talking to them, what are they now doing mentally? Putting it in categories. Now, why is that important for you and I? Because there's nothing that you're going to hear that won't fit in one of these five categories. And if we're really wanting to help people, it's important that we understand what we're trying to help them with and where they are. And we'll talk about that when we get to the sermon. But here's the picture of that. That's just one aspect of this. Let me take another aspect of it. Now, you notice I said one, two, three, four, and five, right? You can put everything in those five categories. Here's what I love that's even better about this. Categories two to category five, those are the fruit issues. Category one is the root of everything. Let that sink in for a moment. Category one, that's the root, two through five are the fruit. If you're having problems in two, three, four, and five, the ultimate comes back to category one. Why? Because the Bible says, guard your heart. From from it flow the issues of life. Tells us in the New Testament, in the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What defiles a man is not what comes out of his body, but what defiles a man is what comes out of his what? Heart. Your heart consists of your mind, your will, the affections. You tell me a person with bad behavior, I tell you a person that has an agenda, that has a belief system, that has desires that are inconsistent with the will of God. You tell me what a person is doing, I can help you see what they're thinking and what their agenda is. Someone says, well, you can't read a person's heart. You don't have to. Their heart is always on display. Every time you make a decision, you're either walking in selfish ambition or love, and every decision you make exposes the condition and the agenda of your heart. I tell people, I'm not that smart. The Bible is just that clear. And the more we recognize this, I'm listening to people and before they come to me as a shepherd, it's going to be one of five categories and I already know the root. So it's either going to be my husband, my friend, my father, uh, you name it. And, And by the way, we'll talk about this a little bit later. We all have six excuses for the reason why we do anything. It's people, past, parents. We'll talk about that. We're always blaming something outside of ourselves for the choices that come from within us. And the culture co signs it, and we've been making many excuses where we need to make many confessions. Because no one can make me do anything. I choose to do things out of where my heart is. In the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I make decisions according to the agenda. You say, Well, I don't see that in the Bible. Sure, you do. It's that verse you quote all the time. You know that Galatians 6, 7 verse? You know the one, be not deceived. God is not whatever man that he shall. If he sows to the flesh, he shall from the flesh reap. If he sows to the spirit, he shall from the spirit reap. It didn't say be not deceived. Whatever happened to you from your past, your parents, the pressures and pains and problems of life. That's why you are the way you are. Didn't say that, did it? What another story to be continued, but we'll come back to that. But I want you to see this because if we understand what I'm just saying, there's not a situation that won't come back to these five categories. Why is that important again? Because the more you meditate on those five categories, research the scriptures, look at the Old and New Testament, your change is always in those areas. Now, let me tell you what that does for you practically. I tell people at my, I I know you guys don't do this. This is my church, okay? You all don't do this. I tell them at my church as a pastor, My job is secure because you listen and forget everything I say all the time. (laughs) I work hard, 20 hours or so, preparing a message. I give it to you. If I were to ask you, I wouldn't do that to you guys. And I said, I'm not going to do it to y'all, but if I were to ask you what I preached last week, the week before, the week before, you forget. You have been trained to listen, to forget. But what would actually happen if you listened to one of my sermons and said, you know what, Lord, based upon what was said, are there any thoughts and attitudes and motives? Are there any communication? Lord, what is it that you would have me to work on as it relates to this sermon? Imagine what would happen in small groups if you took those five areas, listened to the sermon and said, okay, guys, it's time for us to have some real conversation around here. Based upon what has been preached or taught or read, what particular areas of life is God unfolding that we need to work on and how we keep each other accountable? Do you know that people want me to preach less because they'd be working more? There's no way they could put to practice all the things I talk about all year. I tell them my job is secure, but then I challenge them, put me out of a job. I hope they don't, but put me out of a job. What would it be like to come up and be a Thessalonians church where Paul says, you know what? I don't need to tell y'all anything else. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'd love to get up on a Sunday morning and say, guys, listen, you're working it out so well. Just keep doing what you're doing. And now the praise team will come up for the rest of the time. But what does that mean? You've got to train yourself to listen, to live, to listen, not just to learn, but to live. And these five categories is where we're living. It is where God is calling us day in and day out to change. And that's not generic, that's very specific. When the Bible tells us to put off and put on, it's very particular. These are the areas we're called to put off and put on. When you are convicted, when God is arresting your heart, it's in these areas. And whatever area it is, is always tied back to the first area. Somewhere your thinking and your agendas and motives are tied to these things that you can't seem to fix. Why is that important for you and I? Biblical counseling gets to the nitty gritty of this type of stuff. Now, I'm going to stop there for now. Two minute commercial break. I want you to ask a very simple question. My wife asked me this question. Because I'm going to give a little context about this. When we first got married, I just graduated out of Dallas Seminary. And they say this about Dallas Seminary graduates. You can tell a Dallas Seminary graduate, but you can't tell him much. (laughs) Right? And I was that guy. I knew everything about everything. Praise God, I actually learned I don't know anything. But back then, I knew everything. So it was one of my first sermons, and I was putting it together. And mind you, my wife had been a paralegal for 17 years. So she knows how to read things, then became a Christian. I can't win an argument, but that's another story for another day. But she's reading the sermon, and she says, okay. And she gives me these two words that changed my ministry for over 26 years now we've been married. She said, so what? I said, what do you mean, so what? I've just laid out the, she says, listen, you've articulated the passage. You've said what this passage says. You've helped me to understand the context but she didn't tell me what to do with it. What do you want me to do with this information? You know what I do now before I start preaching anything and as I'm doing all my preparation, I ask those two questions. So what? What, am I what do I want the church to do with this? Ladies and gentlemen, this is our so what. Every time you hear something, between one and five, there's something that God is trying to guide you to consider. And your thoughts, motives, desires, agendas, intentions, the way you're communicating, the way you're carrying your life, the way you're relating or the way you're serving. God is always up to something in your life. The question is, are you listening? And do you have the tools to move through the process? For those that do not and those that do, biblical counseling becomes a strategic area to get in their lives. Two-minute commercial break. Guess what my question is to you? Any idea? So what? Take two minutes.